Welcome to the Don Podcast, a Minnesota music conversation recorded at CCX Studio, produced by Javi, engineered by Jimmy Morse. And now, here's your host. We're joined on uh, this episode by Terry Isaacson. He's a guitarist for a bunch of bands around the uh, Minneapolis Twin City area. Uh, welcome, Terry. Thank you so much for having me, Don. Um, <clears throat> now, you're in a play for really a wide variety of bands and a lot of bands do you have like one main band that that you consider you know like your go-to or your that that you use when you introduce yourself to people uh they're like your children don (laughs) can't have favorites yeah they're all they're all great in their own way i guess probably the one most people have heard of is probably flame and o's they've been around the longest and have a little bit of local fame is that uh is that for current bands, is that uh, the one that you've been in, for, that you've been in the longest too, or not? Uh, or? Let me see. That's a good question. I think it's been about 15 years with them. The cool thing about them is two months or so after I joined, they got inducted into the <laughs> Minnesota Rock Hall of Fame. I did absolutely nothing to deserve <laughs> that, but I got my plaque. <laughs> so, oh, so you got, yeah, you went, you went yeah, in with them, Yeah, I huh? got in on it. Timing. Timing yep. is Timing everything. Timing is everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're in... You know, I mean, we could spend the whole podcast just listing bands that, that you've played in and that you're playing in now and stuff. So uh, you play in so many and stuff. What would you say currently, like eight or ten bands that are you currently are I, in? I, I got asked that so often that one day I actually sat down and tried to write some things down. And there seems to be 13 bands usually <clears throat> in in uh, semi-active, mm-hmm. you know, uh situations maybe eight to ten that we'll play kind of regularly yeah but it uh i think it's gotten up towards 20 at some times and do you consider yourself a a member of these bands or are you like a a hired guitar or sideman or what what kind of how do you you might have to ask some of them (laughs) what what i think may not be the same is what they would tell you uh it would depend on on the band some of them may have uh, uh, more than one guitar player mm-hmm. coming and going, depending on availability. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think through my mind of the different situations. And some of them are, are just pretty solid. You yeah. know, that's, I'm, I'm the usual guy. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, when you're playing in that many bands, there's got to be overlap. And there's got to be times when you say, you know, I can't do this. Someone else has to do this or whatever. Yeah. You know, so you have to kind of pick and choose sometimes mm. i mean you must have to luckily that hasn't happened that often and the logistics have been such that uh sometimes there will be several things in a day actually mm. and uh they'll they'll bunch up like that but there have been a few times like you mentioned but mm. most of those involve situations where there may be mm. alter- a variety of guitar players to choose from yeah and then uh you've kind of set yourself up this way for being where you can play with who you want um, and play when you want, uh, but more importantly, play not play when you want and not have to play with people who you don't want to play with. Uh, and that's, that's... That's important. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but some people don't have that choice. Mm. You've kind of set, set yourself up as kind of a unique position that you're in, playing with so many bands, plus playing kind of who you want. you got to kind of be uh, not only physically and mentally, but financially able to do something like that. Um, 
has that just come about or have you kind of is this a, a kind of a goal that you've kind of worked towards for this is how I want to end you know how I, how I want to play how I, how I want to be in my career you know at this point this is how I want what yeah. I want to be doing uh, a certain amount of stuff just kind of morphs like like life in general but I did actually make somewhat of a conscious decision at the end of my 20s that I would separate my economical life from my musical life. Mm -hmm. um, I played in cover bands most of my 20s and it was a good experience, learned how to play in a variety of styles and things like that. But this funny thing crept in that I realized a lot of times uh, the situations where I made the most money were often playing music that I didn't necessarily care for that right, much. Right. And uh, early on I was in a, a band that did um, mainly originals and uh, we'll probably hear one of their tunes coming up here. And uh, they had an alter ego kind of a band that was a cover band and the cover band always made more money yeah. than the original band. And I thought something's, you know, the economics were having an influence mm -hmm. on how you approach the art. And that's an age old dilemma, I guess. But I did make the conscious decision about 20, when I was about 30 years old, I spent my, I had spent my twenties playing covers and I thought, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna make musical decisions based on, on economics. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and from then on, I, I tended to support original music songwriters and right. things like that, where I knew a lot of these situations weren't making a lot of money, but the music would, could be more satisfying. Right, but then you're, you too, you have to put a lot more work into it. Cover bands are <clears throat> pretty much run themselves, whereas original acts are a lot harder to book, they're a lot harder to you know, play yep. and you got to actually learn, you got to work at it. Yeah. I mean, you're in a cover band, you're in there for about, I, I'm, I don't, I don't play an instrument, but I'm guessing after you learn the first 25, 30 songs, that's what you're playing. And yeah. You pretty much don't even have to rehearse. You just show up and that's, yeah, play smoke that's, on the water every night, you know, that's about <clears> it. Replace a song or two from time to time. But yeah, original situations, hopefully if they're thriving and creative they're recording from time to time mm -hmm. and always writing and trying to come up with new stuff right. and trying to crank out the next project or whatever so yeah and that keeps it fresh and keeps it interesting and yeah and playing in a variety of them every band they'll go in cycles you know a band will have a, a downtime mm -hmm. for a while for mm -hmm. for every reason you can imagine but uh uh, playing with several of them, usually if one hasn't played or is is in hiatus for whatever reason, something else will be happening. And uh, the tricky part is to strike the balance. Yeah. You know, I think uh, the old saying is, you know, musicians are either not busy enough or too busy. <laughs> so it's it's tricky to try to strike that happy medium. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so let's start at the beginning here a little bit. And why don't you talk about some of the first bands, how you how you got started in music and, and, and some of the things that at the very beginning. Okay. Just, just very briefly without getting into too detailed, but I grew up in Wilmer about a hundred miles west of the cities and ended up playing in bands around there since, since junior high. And, uh, there were places to play live music around then back at that time. 
And so it was just a great school to learn how to do these things. And thanks to everybody from the home turf for always coming out to seeing those bands. And uh, it, it, it was good schooling. Um, what were some of the covers you were playing around oh, then? Oh, let I me mean, see. style of music. Um, at the start, I lived on a pretty cool street in Wilmer growing up within about a three-block radius on the same street. I ended up having a guitar teacher a block away, uh, this woman who had an all-woman band back then in the 60s, which was unusual, and yeah. they would play in the garage, and they were great. They, I remember them playing Animals and stuff, and half a block down from them was probably the best band ever to come out of Wilmer, these guys who had a big influence on me, uh, a best friend's older brother's band, and if we were cool and kept quiet, we could go down when they <laughs> rehearsed and sit in the basement, and man, I soaked that stuff in. Mm -hmm. And uh, But some of the earliest memory, I think our seventh grade party, we played... Uh, unknown Soldier by the oh, the Doors, complete with the execution <laughs> scene in the middle. If you can imagine a bunch of 13-year-old knuckleheads doing that, scared to death. You know, just uh, first live performance, some of the first live performance. So, so it was kind of that stuff, thanks to some hip older brothers and mm -hmm. stuff that, that uh, we were able to hear some of the, the cool so music. So it wasn't just top 40, um, um, poppy, bar get the crowd to dance kind Not of stuff. This, I spent a, a lot of my 20s doing mm, that. Okay. Yeah, much of my 20s uh, was spent doing that. Uh, my timing wasn't so hot then because I, I got in kind of deep buying a huge uh, PA in lights, and I had bank payments to mm. meet every month, and so played what I had to to, uh, to get those payments made. Mm -hmm. And of course, right after I bought that stuff, a lot of places ended up getting house PA systems. <laughs> so we were schlepping all this gear around. But uh, but so that was, man, that was Huey Lewis, Brian Adams era, okay. kind of that mm -hmm. era. I was doing a lot of singing then too. In fact, it was nine to one, six and seven nights a week sometimes. And I ended up frying my throat out by the end of my 20s. Okay. I couldn't sing anymore. And that kind of forced me into sideman business, mm -hmm. which was pretty traumatic at the time. But like many things in life, it ended up yeah. being kind of a blessing in disguise. I met so many people doing that and, and getting in a bunch of bands. Because, and yeah. I was going to say, too, uh, when, you're, when you're on stage and playing with a lot of these bands, uh, uh, you, I see you a lot of times with extra, you know, you, you're, you're, you're in a musical community up here now yep. and you're playing in so many bands that oftentimes somebody in the crowd is being called up by the by the leader or somebody's pointing at somebody to come and play a tune or do something or sing an extra song um yeah does some of that experience being in from a small town and maybe playing with a bunch of different people kind of make it that easier for you than uh, where there isn't so much of an ego or there isn't so much of an onstage presence? That's that, uh, that's probably it. Back in, the, back in the Wilmer era, it was like one big happy family. Right. Anyone was welcome on stage, and it was just a bunch of our friends, and it was, we liked it that way. Mm -hmm. we, a good night felt like the inmates had been let out of the asylum, <laughs> you know, and they could have the run of the stage or come yelp yeah. along on some background vocals or whatever. Anyone was welcome. Mm -hmm. 
and we were walking on their tables and kicking yeah. glasses off and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it just that that's a good night to me is mm-hmm. when it's just everyone's when the the crowd and the band are kind of together. Exactly. Yeah, blur that makes line. Show, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what uh, what brought what you ended up bringing you up to the cities then? Um, I moved here probably three different times through the years for different reasons, but the final time I moved up here was I think early 90s to go to the UMM and uh, I'd gone back to college when I was 30 and that was part of my somewhat hazy plan about um, keeping economics separate from my music and and looking to do something else Mm -hmm. I thought maybe I could be a doctor but uh <laughs> so you went to medical was, school then or you uh, went, i or took you? pre-med okay. i took uh, a few years of pre-med stuff mm-hmm. and organic chem was the death of me mm-hmm. and it occurred to me that uh uh even failing if there's such a thing at rock and roll you can it's fun yeah yeah way more fun than <laughs> failing at organic chem you know you can have fun while you're doing it. <laughs> so that was a bit of a revelation run uh-huh. west you run played at northrop plaza and uh, in the midst of my uh, chemistry hell, and uh, Kirk was climbing the scaffolding, and I had a revelation that, yeah, I used to do that. That used to be a lot of fun, and that k- kind of got me thinking towards, okay, you know, playing more, playing more in the cities again. Then, how did you connect with some people up here? Then, did you know some people, or did you just kind of? Here's my advice to some youngsters. I, I knew a few people, but, you know, as guitar players, we can be a dime a dozen. And, and people will ask me, you know, what can you do to set yourself apart? Get a rehearsal space, man. Uh, uh, I moved into a warehouse, big warehouse space, early 90s, one block northeast of Broadway and Central okay. in North Minneapolis. And... Uh, I rented it out to some different bands to rehearse. Most of them stiffed me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, met, I met a lot of people. <laughs> and uh, we'd have like band showcases. And had the, uh, uh, built a big stage, had big PA and lights. And uh, it's scary having hundreds of people waltzing through your living room. So it was kind of foolish in retrospect, mm-hmm. but uh, met a lot of people that way. Okay. Uh, one time I ran into Curtis Say, who I had met years before, and I knew he was doing uh, the annual John Lennon tributes, and mm-hmm. I knew that was a huge band. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, uh, you know, if you need a place to rehearse that huge band, I've mm-hmm. got a pretty big room. Uh, you're welcome to use it. Okay. That, it would be cool. And so that's kind of how I got in with those guys. They threw me, I think they felt they had to throw me a bone. <laughs> right. So well, so I would come up and play one song on mm-hmm. acoustic guitar at the start. Now I don't get off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's that's what, you know, what they call networking and stuff. But you exactly. got to have your kind of a niche or you're in or somehow yeah. to get to meet people, you know. And, and, and yeah. you can't be shy, too. You must not have been shy because well, you must have been. Actually, I was. I, did, I don't have that, that really... Uh, in-your-face, go-getter type of thing. It was just kind of morphed organically from meeting a lot of people. And uh, uh, I met the, the V-Boys, Bobby V's sons, were, got to be good friends with them, and I met some people through them mm-hmm. that uh, uh, opened some things up. And Yeah, it's it's funny to think about. It's, it's the typical cliche about... Back in my 20s when I was really pushing hard and trying hard to make things happen, 
and picking up a phone and calling a club owner and booking a band was some people are really good at that mm. and uh i it's not in my nature okay. i'd feel yeah. physically ill before i had to do that but um but so after i turned 30 things just kind of morphed in a organic way like i say uh that way i didn't really work hard at it i had a i had a huge rehearsal space yeah. and that opened things up and I just kind of met people and some of the bands, uh, their guitar player would quit and they'd say, I'm oh, sorry, but uh, we got to split up unless, unless you fill in and play guitar. <laughs> and I needed their rent money right, right. the few times they came across with it. So, <laughs> so I said, okay, okay. And then, and then, so was that when you were still doing kind of covers or were you doing some originals or what, how by did that you go time from the covers it, to the originals? By so? that time it was mainly original era. In my early thirties, uh, when I went back to the U of M, I was playing in uh, duos. One of the, um, I didn't know anyone else who was doing this. This is, sounds like the dinosaur era, but we had backtracks on mm -hmm. cassette tapes and uh, we could, uh, me and another guy could fit into rooms that were too small for bands and so just I, I never had to get like a quote real job or whatever during college era i go back to wilmer area and play in some of these places as a two-piece mm -hmm. but uh if you think about it unlike cds or other media the thing about tapes is you have to play the same thing <laughs> in the same order. i think it was eight years i oh, did that wow. of the same songs in the same order to where finally the help at some of these clubs, <laughs> they would take bets on what song was coming up next. They had our set list memorized, you know. But that was still doing covers then? That was cover era yeah. still, yeah. But at the same time, while I was doing that, I was slowly infiltrating into original situations in the cities, yeah. And then uh, who did you start in with the uh, originals and... and um, where, where did you start? I have doing? to think time wise. When I first moved up, there were hometown buddies that um, Mark Fitzsimmons. Hey, Mark, uh, he had, he, uh, he was doing mainly original stuff. Got a CD out. Um, uh, the band was called Fitz or the Fitz Men, and uh, to their credit, they were uh, doing original music and sometimes around the Wilmer area, mm -hmm. which wasn't really done back then so he was always fighting the good fight and a yeah. very inspired and passionate singer Fitz, i hope you're good out there yeah and those guys so uh that was uh one of the original things i was doing then and then kind of morphing into i have to think about it here uh jenny dodds who you might hear mm -hmm. later that was one of the first things um uh yeah of course i'm drawing a blank a little yeah. bit here now but yeah some of the things i, I gave I gave Don a list yeah. of a bunch of things I played with in case things like this would happen. <laughs> but uh, chronologically, I can't really yeah. think of what they, uh, what they were. But uh, then Curtis A. And, and uh, yeah, just a variety of different things all of a sudden. Yeah. And then just some sessions, people would just call me to record, even if I, they weren't playing live a lot or if I wasn't in their live thing, I'd play on some of their recordings. And different things just kind of kind of mushroomed. Okay, then... Uh, and then uh, you got uh, going along, and then uh, the nip and tuck thing happened, um, and that uh, we want to talk a little bit about that. That was quite quite an amazing band that uh, that was out there with uh, Gary. Is it Gary Rue? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Gary Rue, Jeff Wilcom, and Tilly, Steve Tildress. That's where uh, regressing. We're going back about a decade from what we were talking about. Oh, okay. But that, I was twenty one at that era. Oh, okay. So that was. Uh, 
So that was before. That was the, yeah, that was before any of this stuff okay. that we had talked about. That was the second time I had moved to the cities. And uh, Longhorn. So that was era. actually before the college days then, huh? Exactly. Oh, like okay. a whole decade oh, before. Wow. Yeah. That was when I was just old enough to, to get into these places. Okay. And uh, yeah, that was Longhorn era. We played at the Longhorn there. And uh, and on the bill with Flaminos uh, often. So it was funny. Fast forward decades later mm-hmm. to be playing with the O's and playing with Kurt, who was playing at the Longhorn a lot, Curtis A. And, uh, yeah, I met a bunch of those guys from that era. They were a little bit older than me, but then I was back and forth to Wilmer. But when I finally moved up here for good, I still knew some of those guys, even though we'd been out of touch a bit, but, uh, but, uh, then how'd you get introduced to them and, and how did you, let me see here. Nip and tuck, yeah, nip and tuck. I met because a woman I knew was going out with a sound man of thumbs up thumbs up had curtis a and a couple guys from nip and tuck okay. Gary. and uh yeah thumbs up was great anybody who caught them in the day mm. will tell you peter jesperson mentions them in the longhorn uh documentary and stuff and about a year later uh, th- thumbs up split into two bands curtis a and some of his bands and then Nip and Tuck split off of that. Nip and Tuck ended up playing in Wilmer, my hometown, okay. when I was back there. And it took me a while, but I said, I know you guys. I met you, uh, um, blah, 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 at this party after I saw you play. And uh, they were looking for a guitar player then. Okay. And uh, they said, learn Baby Blue by Badfinger and play it with us tonight. I had not been playing electric much then. I'd been uh, just uh, kind of studying classical guitar, which I was never good at at all and so i was really rusty on singing and playing electric so i played it with them that night and i thought i was horrible i'd never hear from them but <laughs> a couple months later they called and said mm-hmm. yeah come on up if you want and they actually went on to be uh, quite a big band touring and, and uh playing around um or? they they were a critics darling band okay. i i don't think they would disagree with me using that that phrase they got good press before i joined them when they were a three-piece they were awesome Mm -hmm. and uh they recorded a demo at sound 80 studio in town this was an era before there were a zillion studios and everyone had them on their computer um dylan recorded blood on the tracks there and an unknown prince was recording right across the hallway and uh um david z Z was producing it. There was a three-man production team. David Z, who was working with Prince and started him, and Steve Greenberg, who went on to do Lip Sync. Mm-hmm. They had Funky Town, that yep. hit. And, uh, yeah, and a few guys like that were um, in on this demo. We did a four-song demo there. And uh, we were supposed to be moving to L.A., and for various reasons, we never got out there. Our manager went out there and shopped the thing around a little bit, and... And that was a long time ago and a little hazy about exactly mm-hmm. the details of how it went down. But, yeah, we played around. And, and then Nip and Tuck turned into uh, Rue Nouveau, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, with this little Elvis hazy. Costello kind of hooked, yeah, hooked, hooked onto them. Yeah, with Leslie Ball. In fact, they may have been Les Rue after oh, that. Okay. They were Les Rue and Rue Nouveau, and I'm not exactly sure. And Gary actually called me in Wilmer after Nip and Tuck broke up. I went back to Wilmer, and and, and uh, I got a call. I was ordering at a hospital at the time, and he called and called and said, "Would you would you like to be in on this?" And by that time, I'd relocated mm-hmm. back home and and gotten some 
primitive recording gear and just wanted to putz around with a reel-to-reel deck and mm-hmm. try some songwriting and stuff. So, so we're going to play a song by uh, Nip and Tuck. And so none of this stuff has ever been released or, or out, or this is kind of a Correct. never heard before a song. Then by, yes, indeed. By Luck, Nip and Tuck. Lucky people, you get to hear this rare thing. <laughs> All right. This will be uh, I Can't Remember You from Nip and Tuck. I, oh, I can remember you. Oh, I can. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, I, I can remember you yeah. by Nip and Tuck.
And uh, that was I Can Remember You from Nip and Tuck. And that reminded me a lot of the raspberries. Ah, that's a good call, Don. You know, listening to that, it's, it's funny. Cause we played Longhorn era. Those of you who know about that era, late 70s or whatever. Uh, we were power pop. Those guys were all such good singers as you could hear. And we were doing all those vocal harmonies, and that's in the middle of Sex Pistols, Ramones era. So it was always a little tricky wedging us into that scene. But but uh, funny you should mention raspberries, because if we did covers, it was raspberries, Todd Rundgren, Beatles, Badfinger. And either they, if, excuse my grammar, or another band that Gary was in at the time opened for the Raspberries one oh, time, okay. if I remember the anecdote correctly. Mm -hmm. They thought Gary was Eric Carmen. People <laughs> thought he was, because you hear how he sang, yeah. and he actually does not look unlike him. There's a double negative there. But yeah, there was some kind of story like that where he was mistaken for the guy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so then you did, they did kind of have a part career, so you were kind of, in cover bands and in his band and and in Nip and Tuck at the same kind of a time. Nip and Tuck, when I was with them, I was exclusively with them. Okay, but you're right. Uh, later on, I was, uh, yeah, it mushes in my brain a little. But when I mm -hmm. went back to college, I was going back sometimes to the Wilmer area, area to play some cover things mm -hmm. while doing some original things up here. Because uh, what what I was thinking of was um, <clears throat> I like reading magazines and watching interviews and listening to people, artists, musicians talk about uh, different things, kind of the history of it and what they talk about and stuff. And uh, early on when I was listening, to, like I don't know if it was Eric Clapton or if it was something that uh, Dwayne Allman said or somebody around that time and around that talent um, was doing an interview and said that uh, basically there's two kinds of people. There's guitar players and there's guitarists. Oh. And so there's a big oh. difference between the two, and I was just wondering: is kind of you, you know, you're a guitarist, so well, thank, is, is this thank kind of you for well, thinking is that. this is this kind of the point of turning from guitar player to guitarist? To kind of mm. kind of thinking, I don't have to just play other people's music. I can I can oh. do my own. I can kind of these are thought provoking things <laughs> you're throwing at me, Don. Uh, it all seems like guitar college to me. Mm -hmm. It still does. And like we talk about before, and people mm -hmm. say, well, okay, you've been doing a long time. When do you graduate? Uh, of course, you don't graduate. Right. But um, the time spent in those cover bands, um, copying songs is... That's not a bad thing. I'm thinking of pretenders, especially later on when you're doing original things and you're in the studio and Ginny Dodds will say, play something pretendersy. Mm. I know what she's talking about. Okay. And I can tap into play and chain gang or some of those old songs. But, um, to answer your question, kind of, I, I never, it was never that, um, delineated of a thing where I thought, okay, now it's time to be a guitarist, but there is a point where you go, okay, you can emulate some of these styles. Um, what's your own deal, Right. you know, right. how can you make it your own deal? Yeah. And or can I even make it my own deal? Exactly. I, you know, which is a big, big it, deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And some people, and, and that's fine. Um, um, 
they'll spend their lives perfectly happy playing playing cover right. songs and that's great there's mm-hmm. nothing at all wrong with that it's it's a constant learning no, thing it, it takes it takes a skill to do that and it takes a skill to do everything else yeah but, but you got to exactly. kind of know you know what your skill is you got to you, find your skill a little bit there too you know yeah what what is it that makes you unique and sets you mm-hmm. apart and what is your deal and uh yeah that's the thing that i'm co- constantly thinking about you know and uh it's it's just a thing that's in constant metamorphosis and mm-hmm. you know you're always hopefully developing new stuff but uh at the same time it is kind of nice to be able to adapt to a style and to be able to play in a variety of styles sometimes i'm i wonder if it would have been better better to just hone in on one specific style and just put all your time and energy into that and uh uh, I just like too many different kinds of music right. to do that. It's fun to have your hands in a bunch of different mm-hmm. stuff. Keeps it interesting. And so, so for this, this, I'll, this is when I'll bring this up. Then you, you must have with all the different bands you play and all the different styles that you play, you must have a lot of different equipment because you can't just take the same guitar and the same amp and go out and play rockabilly and mm. dead and whatever else you're you're playing. Uh huh. Um, so how do you, I mean, that, that's got to be a financial, a little bit of a financial burden. It also has to be storage. It has to be knowing what instruments and what amps and what tone, what sound yeah, goes yeah. with what band, which is part of a, having an ear for music. Mm-hmm. How does that all, how it's does that a, all mix in? It's how, a do di- you keep it, how do you keep it straight? It's a disease is what <laughs> it is. The gear, the gear thing. I can hear guitar players laughing out there now and other players too. <laughs> and some of them going, if you know what you're doing, you can get the job done mm-hmm. with any guitar and any amp or whatever. Right. And there's something to that philosophy, but there's also something about uh, if you have, if the songwriter or you have something very specific in mind tone wise, mm-hmm. yeah, you should really be using this specific thing on this. So, uh, it, it's funny you should mention it because I recently just moved a, a mountain of stuff down to the rehearsal space just to try out what I still need to hang on to mm-hmm. and what to get rid of. And, and uh, yeah, there wasn't that quite that much stuff to choose from coming up. And now I think of kids starting now to million pedals, million mm-hmm. different yeah. guitars. It's just some option paralysis comes to mind as how I deal with it. But uh, you're right. It's just just take it on a gig by gig basis. I just strung up a guitar that I hadn't used for a while for something coming up Saturday. Thought, oh yeah, yeah, this would be. So that's an ongoing yeah. thing. And I used to get ex- it used to be exasperating for me. You want to cut down, simplify, blah blah. I talked to a guitar player in town I like a lot, Jock Waite, and 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 he told me that. Um, the process of selecting pedals for a gig and what to use. He likes it and looks at it as a Zen, a zen type thing. And <laughs> and it totally changed my attitude about it. And I thought, yeah. And, uh, and just becoming a little grateful for this stuff that I could never afford with my paper route mm-hmm. money. You could just right. drool over this gig. Mm-hmm. Now you can actually get a couple of guitars you've wanted. And so just to try to appreciate that, you know. Yeah, you said at one point when we were talking that uh, uh, you had different 
setups in your house at different spots. Like over here would be this setup and for this band. And then you had a different setup over here for this band. So when this band was playing, you'd take this uh, to the set. Yeah. And, and so you had everything kind of separated out in the house per band. There was a time when I, I was a little more systematic. <laughs> it's devolved into chaos as we speak at the moment. Maybe I should get on that again. Yeah. Well, yeah. So you, you gave me this list uh -oh. of bands. So this is where we're going to get into your list of bands. Oh, now. yikes. Yikes. So yeah. I'm going to, we're going to have a little, a little lightning round here. Ruh -roh. Um, I'll, I'll list a band that you're currently playing with. Okay. You, you tell me the type of music. Okay. And then for the gearheads out there, you tell me what you actually take. Oh, yikes. Okay. How's, how's if you want, what if guitar or what amp or pedals or whatever. Okay. Now, do you have like one pedal board? Do you have... Do you have to make up different pedal boards for every band, too? or I have to bring you down to the Space Don and show you what <laughs> I'm going through. I mean, see, I, Craigslist has, has <laughs> been a bit of a curse here. Yeah, I've just been, it, it, it varies. Uh, well, we can get in yep. when we talk. But okay. I, I, briefly, I just want to say why I gave you that list uh, for listeners out there who I play with. It ab absolves me if your band doesn't <laughs> come up here yeah. I, yeah, I won't be able to do all of them yeah exactly so many, but we'll do it i told don to, to pick them and that's so yeah. it's kind of a, a thing of chance we'll here. do four or five and some of these bands i don't know so it'll be interesting to hear what kind of music it is yeah okay we'll what kind out, of music and what kind of gear yeah we'll start out with the o's uh the How o's describe music for the o's uh the o's is uh punky poppy stonesy I think of Stones and Romantics okay. when, when I think of the O's. Uh, I hope uh, no one has strong disagreements <laughs> with that. I think the, I, I think uh, Ro what, Robert would agree with that. Then what guitar do you play? Um, I, I just got a new one not long ago that I used for the first time last week with them. So that changes from time to time, okay. too. I've kind of morphed towards P90 pickups, if you want to geek out here, you guitar guys. And... Uh, Gibson SGs or double cutaway guitars. The one I just got is a double cutaway Paul Jr. There, is that enough geeking out for one yeah, band? See, yeah, you're talking over my head. Yeah, so that's, that's okay with me, but I'm sure there's I people don't know out how there interested really, well, this is. There's, there's some people want, you know, like, no. And then an amp. Uh, amp, it varies. I used two amps a week ago that I had never used before. Um, so you're still always evolving your sound, even with the bands that you've played Constantly it's a disease. Like, yeah. It's a disease, Don. Yeah, it never <laughs> ran. <laughs> it never ends okay. exactly. Um, some bands. Well, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. That's the O's thing. Mm -hmm. We uh, try to keep it quieter, a little quieter on stage than some other hard rock and bands. So Robert has a fighting chance of hearing himself sing, and uh, stuff like that. Okay. There are louder. You can't always tell out front what the stage mm -hmm. volume is. Uh, some of you folks, but the O's aren't that loud on stage usually compared to some other bands I play okay. with. How about the Meerkats? Meerkats, Stephanie Winter's uh, stuff. Stephanie's played with some bands, Autumn Leaves Through the Years and some things like that. Uh, Brit Pop, British Pop, her originals even, you can, uh, you can sense that influence. And we also, the same members of the Meerkats are in Ye Ye Pao, which is the French version of the British Invasion. They do French pop covers. But that stuff is fun because um, it's the kind of jangly pop that got me hooked on rock in the okay. first place when we were kids. Jangly 12 strings, um, cleaner tones, 
Uh, you wouldn't mistake it for any kind of metal or hard rock or anything, which is, I like a certain amount of that stuff too. But um, it's like jangly British invasion pop. Okay, guitar? Um, sometimes 12, I've got an electric 12 string that I got from my buddy Vic, who died of cancer uh, a few years ago. So it always reminds me of Vic and hopefully reminds um, his other friends also when they see me play that. And uh, uh, Fender Jaguar, or, uh, I'm sorry, Fender Jazzmaster guitar. I believe that's the only band I use the Jazzmaster okay. in. Jeremy Ilvisacker in town plays one, and I went up to him at sound check and told him how much I liked it. He said, you got to pick one of these up, and I got one the very next day because uh, he makes it sound so good for one thing. Uh, yeah, amp? is that uh, amp for that? That's a quieter band. Um, usually a Fender Blues Junior. I also have an organ pedal I've started to use with that band, and it works best. And here, here we're geeking out here. <laughs> if I use a separate amp for that, so I use a separate amp, which is I've tried a variety of things mm -hmm. to put the organ pedal through. Okay. So, yeah. How about uh, Lolo's Ghost? Lolo's Ghost. Uh, one very cool thing about that band was they played every week. They had a weekly gig, uh, the most recent at the Driftwood, every Sunday brunch gig. It's a good opportunity to try out different stuff and different pedals. So um, I would usually use uh, one of the four. Type, type of music? Um, more in the American. I, I don't know if I like to use it. singer songwritery. I, I hope that... In a, in a good way. I hope there's nothing um, derogatory about any of these descriptive no. words that come to mind. It's kind of Americani. It's very uh, singer-songwriter stuff. Uh, James digs deep. It's emotional stuff. You can tell he's lived what he's singing about, and people relate to that no matter what the style. Okay. Um, I, I use the kind of either Gibson SGs or Les, Les Paul Jr. usually with that band and uh, try out a variety of different things every week. All right, we'll, we'll go with uh, the next one will be an interesting one because it's a Super Lux. Super and they're Lux. more of a studio. They don't play live, so they're more of a studio. So does that change? Exactly. Things? Yeah, yeah. You know, that was such a fun session. Um, keyboard player Bob from Flame and O's and uh, a few friends of his, they crank out about an album a year. They'll get together and do that, never play live. And they've had different drummers and guitar players on. They have several albums out, and I always like their other albums. So I was thrilled when they asked me to play on this one. And uh, Type of music? Boy, what would you call super lux? Just good... Um, more 80s-influenced pop, kind okay. of, rock and pop, but more keyboard-oriented than some bands I play with. And uh, um, Bob had great gear at the studio at his house, and I used some of that stuff. And um, I believe I used a Gibson SG and um, maybe a Fender Deluxe Reverb amp and maybe a Supro amp, but I'm a little vague. Okay. But it was one of my favorite ways to record, incidentally, because uh, I, I like to have the songwriter there, and I just met him at those sessions, and we sat in the control room, and uh, uh, he'd say, I love that, and I'll play it higher, play an octave higher. I said, great. And I'd say, should I play more Neanderthal on this? He said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go caveman on this. So be, being able to sit there with the songwriter mm -hmm. and get to the bottom of, mm -hmm. of what they have in mind is I enjoy doing that. So do you take one guitar to that 
kind of a session, or do you end up taking two or three to that, see? That one, I think I brought a couple to. It depends on the session, and, the, and it even depends on the song sometimes. If it's an album project that's ongoing, I'll find out. I might find out what song we'll be recording the next day and go, oh, that needs some electric 12 string. I'll bring that. Mm -hmm. and But sometimes I'll bring, yeah, two or three. And then, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, Rob uh, Steelcheat? Rob Steelcheat, yeah, and, and the, the Lies. lies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what kind of music is that? Boy, our mutual friend Sean, Rob's one of a kind. Uh, our mutual friend Sean describes him as Warren Zavon from another planet. <laughs> So, and I thought that's a pretty good description. It'll vary from song to song, unhinged. Okay. We can rehearse all we want, but if we're playing live, all of a sudden Rob will change the groove, the key, the whatever, to where we're not even sure what song he's going into when he starts it out. Okay. And uh, it drove drummer Kirk, who I got into that band, nuts at the start. <laughs> and finally I said, Kirk, just look at it like a roller coaster. Just hop on mm -hmm. and enjoy the ride and don't think for a moment that you can control it. So just enjoy the element of danger in the air. And what's the guitar you take? Uh, different. Different oh, every okay, time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I experiment with Rob. Okay. With Rob's stuff. And then uh, the last one, which we'll go into a song from, it will be uh, Johnny Ray. Um, so, uh, and he does a... a variety of music uh, we're going to do one with johnny ray and the reaction so i'll just ask specifically about johnny ray yeah the johnny ray and the type of music that was good uh, storm the ramparts power punk pop kind of yeah yeah he he was uh, a guitar player in flamingo and then went out on his own mm -hmm. to do the reaction back in the day then didn't play live for like decades and then just recorded in his house and then came out and did some live gigs again and, and cranked out this five-song EP. And those were fun sessions, and Johnny's a good friend. And uh, I, I think I bought four guitars from him, <laughs> and uh, we have an agreement. He gave me a good price on them, but he can borrow them whenever <laughs> he wants. He didn't want, they didn't want them around their house, you know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we did a good kind of barter system. Then do you thing. do uh, the same guitar live as you do in the studio with him, or is that a... Um, those are, and I think those were both Gibson SGs. Yeah, I think they were the same guitars I played okay. in the studio. Yeah. And the amps? Were uh, I've tried different, I've done, okay. I've used different things with him. One thing cool about this, uh, some of these songs he actually ha had demos of or had recorded with a reaction back in the day. Yeah, a lot of them were live demos. And his original guitar player, Tom McKean, died of a brain thing years ago. Great guitar player. We all loved him. And it was fun to dig into those because I was able to, I would steal a lick from Tom's recordings if I liked it and then mash it with my own. And that was kind of a rare thing to do. And uh, I hope I didn't do too much of injustice to Tom. Um, so it was fun to mash it up. Okay. Yeah. So this will be a song from uh, Johnny Ray and the Reaction. And this is Out Like a Light. Where you were going, this fades away. 
Uh, out like a light from Johnny Ray in the reaction, and you said you did pretty much all the leads on that. This is one of the few bands that you do 
all the leads with? Yeah, yeah. There are a few bands I do, but that's one that, yeah, yep. So in that in that solo, we were kind of talking here during the song, and I asked you who you kind of when you were talking. You said when you uh, when you when you're with people in the studio and they say you know like like a, a um, Ginny Ginny said you know you want she wanted like a pretenders feel and and the guy from Superlux said you know he wanted wanted uh, kind of a Neanderthal feel. What was the so this solo was this from somebody or did how did you? Uh, that, that one, solo? that particular one, I think I had free reign on that one. He kind of, uh, so that would be strictly you. Yeah. Doing you, doing mm-hmm. you, huh? Yeah. There are two different ways that recordings happen as, as, as players know, and producers sometimes have their preference, um, and players too. I prefer to come in, in with a solo that I've, written and composed that one i did in advance i actually had that i've got a looper pedal that i put the chords on at home and i i write a solo i i find i come up with licks i wouldn't play otherwise if i just have to wing one in the studio i'll i'll kind of go to the my comfortable places mm-hmm. that i've done a lot some producers prefer that rich Matson up north in sparta will hear some um Dave Rave later, and Rich Rich likes you to go in unprepared, and he usually likes the first track you do, and uh, and I've that's the one place where I I have to reconcile myself that that's <laughs> how it's going to work, and that's why they're able to crank out so ma- so much material so fast, and there's something to that, you know, you capture a initial energy and stuff right. like, that. but I tend to like to compose my solos first yeah um so uh i was gonna say which do you like better but i guess you, an- you answered that for you like that puts a lot of pressure on a guy to go in and say just go ahead and wing it yeah and see what happens but you got to be pretty talented to be able to pick up what's going on in the studio and then go along with it and then match what's going on too i mean that's a different feel y- yeah yeah you know, it's a different kind of a Different kind of a machine, different kind of a talent. Yeah, um, I I have a friend uh, um, Alex that plays in the uh, Kiss the Tiger. Sure. And I asked him about playing. He plays with them sometimes, and he doesn't play with them sometimes. He's kind of with them, and then we're not with them. And uh, I asked him about playing, how he plays and stuff. And he says he really likes when he plays live. He really likes just to watch the rest of the band and just kind of play what he wants to play. He doesn't uh-huh. have like a set script he kind of just as the band feels uh-huh. and as the crowd feels he kind of just fills in and that's how he plays he doesn't have good a for set him thing. and that kind of you know it's, it's it's a different style but it's got to be a lot harder to do on 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 the on the, on the you know yeah it's it, lives a little more freeing that way although by the time you get home from the gig there's sometimes already videos posted of it <laughs> but it didn't used to be so permanent yeah, yeah when you're when you're releasing a cd or a project it's written in stone that's a different thing psychologically kind of but uh but yeah and the technology in this day and age is different too uh we j- uh just um did a curtis a album and uh I had to do a solo. Good God, it was 9.30 a.m., and it was a hard rock and tune. 
And I assumed they were going to cut and paste it together from that. They gave me a few passes at it. And I thought, okay, take the best measures you want and paste something together. And then it came out here. I saw the, uh, I got the mixes of it and they, they took they took the first solo. They said, no, that's, that's the one all the way through. And I was a little bit mortified, but they seemed to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're not always your own best judge mm-hmm. of it, you know, of, of what they want. Sometimes you've got a very definite idea about, and it'll be totally different than what the songwriter right. has in mind or the producer. But bottom line to me is you got to respect the songwriter. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who agonize through the writing process. So. And then another thing you talked about with uh, uh, Rob Steelcheat was that, uh, you know, he's kind of all over the place on stage. So with all these different bands you play with, some have to have strict set lists that you go by, and then some have to be pretty ad-lib on stage and uh, call out songs. Uh-huh. And you've got to kind of be ready for both. Which which kind of do you prefer? Do you prefer having a set, set list, or do you prefer pretty much free style and play whatever the guy calls out and just be ready for whatever happened more, that, on, more on your toes. One's more on your toes and one's more going through the motions. Exactly. That, that's a good question. It's, it's easier with uh, a set list because it, sometimes it requires adjustments on the pedal board or certain settings you have to change. And so you, you want to be on it. And uh, even before the song, before it ends, if you can turn a knob, to be ready when the next song starts so so it makes it easier that way on the other hand it's the element of danger in the air is not a bad thing that's what rock and roll is supposed yeah. to be about you know you're supposed to see if you can land on your feet from chaotic <laughs> situations so rather than be exasperated by them you hopefully learn to enjoy them or at least roll with them after doing it for a while so do you have a preference or not or do you kind of i mean do you have um, something it, you kind of prefer? Yeah, I, I never really thought about it preference-wise. If it's a band that requires a lot of pedal tweaking, then you kind of want to be organized. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, some some of them just lend themselves to yeah. uh, uh, the brunch gig that did with Lolo's Ghost and James Loney every week. Never had a set list for mm-hmm. that. He always calls them as you know as he feels and that's great mm-hmm. and that's fine some do you ever have to talk to somebody and say listen you know this this what you're doing isn't working and i can't you know i mean there's got to be times when you say you know you can't do this song after this so i know you do uh-huh. the set and i know it means something <laughs> to you but i can't do this song after this song or or, uh-huh. is, or is it just something that you have to say whatever they want to do i just have to do it and i just have to I'm just I'm just back here playing, you know. Yeah, um, that's an interesting one. Uh, in my younger, headstrong days, I was definitely more more vocal about my opinion about things and couldn't understand why people didn't see things the same way. <laughs> and and uh, hopefully, you learn to be flexible mm-hmm. the more you do it. And like I say, I especially respect the songwriter. I will. It, Boy, every situation is so different, and you have to suss out who is open to that kind of thing, not only the things you mentioned, but different parts or different ways to to play or sing something. Some people want your ideas. Some are totally closed off to them. They just want you to do your thing. Mm -hmm. And 
And uh, it's a skill you're constantly developing to suss that out when you walk into a situation. If it's people you've played with for a long, long time, obviously you kind of, you kind of find a comfortable thing, you know, but sometimes walking into a situation where you don't know the people that well, that's something you ha- you better suss out pretty fast or it's going to get ugly, you know, uh, but. And, and then, and then you're in so many bands, so you do have so many personalities that, you know, you're not going, if you're in, if you're in one band and you kind of know the set list, you know what you're going to play, you know what kind of music it's going to be, you kind of gear up for that and go, but you're with so many different people different emotions different types of bands and not only the the songwriter and the leader but the other people in the band that you've got to kind of be ready for almost anything when when you go i mean you're you're you know you're a member of that band but you just got done playing the night before with some other Mm -hmm. guy that's you know anal retentive and now you're with some guy Uh that's just off flying off the handle and your emotion has have to change a lot between those two, you know. You gotta suss out every situation. Yep, they're but all. But that's gotta take a toll on you a little bit. I mean, you gotta, you know, you're not always in the same mood as the singer of the band. You know. That's true. So yeah. You, a lot of times when you're sing, playing with the same band, you can kind of feel just when you walk in the you're back in the door. the same groove. Right. Right. You know mm-hmm. how he's gonna be. I Maybe mean, he might be a little off today or something. But you're playing with guys that are totally different mm. people, which gotta swing your emotions yeah. and stuff. I mean, I'm, I don't. I don't care to play like this today mm-hmm. but you kind of got it anyways you know yeah shift your psychological whatever and kind of rise to the case usually it's rock and roll and once you start once you start playing everything goes away huh? yeah i'm it, it it might not go away but i'm always curious to hear what's going to come out of the amp mm-hmm. and it's still a mystery to me what the tone will be like whether it'll be in tune whether it fits in and that's it's kind of fascinating and that curiosity always makes it interesting enough that you know to try to be able to shift to do what's appropriate in the situation or appropriate's not quite the right word but what might be Mm -hmm. what the other people might find interesting or uh yeah it's I was just going to say nobody's going to get too angry about anything, but that's not true. Now all of a sudden names or people are coming to mind. So you're right. There are yeah. certain situations, yes, you have to walk on eggshells a little more than others. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and slowly you, through the years, you hopefully fade those situations <laughs> out. And, uh, yeah. And, and that and that gives you a good a, a good feel of, where you're at now and that's what i say you're you're in a you're in a place where you know all of a sudden if something goes haywire you can pretty much you've got eight other bands you can play with you can maybe find a way out or or find not to play for maybe a couple of weeks or a month or the next gig or sit one out or do this or do that if you have that choice now because you've kind of put yourself in that position to be able to make that choice yeah yep and Which, which is a pretty Pretty not very often musicians yeah. are in that position. Yep, yep. I salute I salute the the friends who who count on on rock and roll for most of their income. It's uh, yeah. It was an exasperating thing for me through my twenties, mm-hmm. and is is uh, and if they're able to pursue musical stuff twenty four seven like that through their whole life, 
I salute him, man. But you're right. It it did free me up to be able to pick and choose or to walk away from unpleasant situations or whatever. And uh, yeah, and that was kind of the plan. And and I think I would probably do it like that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, song we're going to go into is one from Ginny uh, Dodd. And I always pause when I say that because I want to call her Jeannie. And oh. <laughs> uh, so there's always a little pause before I say her name. Oh, Jenny. good for you. Yeah. yeah. Jeannie Dodd. Um, <laughs> and this is interesting to me because you're playing with her now again live and you played quite a while ago. And uh, when you did the records and the recordings and when she was kind of uh, on the scene uh, early on and then she took some time off and now she's back playing again and you're playing with her. Um, you. You, you talked about Nip and Tuck had a reunion not not too long ago and uh, and it was it's it's interesting to me that when you play with these bands that you play with them a long time ago and then there's a off space and then you pick back up with them they uh-huh. come back or you know they get done or they want to get back in the music they come back to you because you're the guitar player in the band and it was with them so that's got to be something that do you have to go back then and learn all those songs or do you have or is it is it something like riding a bike where actually you can just kind of tune into it again i mean how uh, long was how long was uh, uh jenny genie Ginny? i'm sorry Ginny. Ginny dodds yes i'm gonna say that wrong <laughs> all the right. time but uh, how how far how, how much was she off the circuit from when you played with her early on and when you're playing with her now what, what was the gap Boy. there First of all, well, we have to set the record straight about one thing. Okay. Yeah, Nip and Tuck did a reunion of a couple uh, gigs not long ago. I was not invited. <laughs> so, right. So there. <laughs> so so that was an easy one. I didn't have to learn anything. But um, the a lot of it's like kind of like riding a bike, you know, with Ginny's stuff anyway. Once you've recorded, I've found, and a lot of guys have agreed, once you've done the recorded a song on a cd by that time a lot of times you've played the song really a lot Mm -hmm. to get it tight and it's in your brain there somewhere so it's a little bit like riding a bike for the most part getting back there there will be a few little areas that require a little more attention than others but generally the song's in your head and uh without too much trouble you can okay. pull it back out again and like with superlux where you say they only record maybe once a year and they don't do any shows or anything you know you have to kind of get back and that's once a year you have to kind of get back into that space is that I've of, only i mean that's the same kind of a thing i'm thinking of you have a you know you play then you have a space and then you yeah, play yeah you know and you do that with a, a couple of different bands mm. or you have done that with a couple of different bands superlux i've only played on their last okay. uh cd and so i haven't yeah, uh, done that yeah i haven't had that situation with them but and those guys go back for so many years i imagine they get back together and pick up right where they left okay. off um it's it's pretty easy to do uh, just to pick up yeah just to pretty much pick up where you were and yeah i think so kind of make it gel again yeah uh uh-huh yeah it comes together pretty fast i'm trying to think of situations where it hasn't or doesn't and uh and uh i can't think of any so i think it generally comes back pretty fast well we'll go into another song and this is uh anyone like you from Ginny dad
I do real bad on titles, song <laughs> titles, and names, and so everybody knows it. So just so you know, that was uh, anyone like you, and that is Ginny, Ginny's Dodds. Correct. Ginny Dodds. Uh, a very yeah, I, 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 He bowed me that that release, and I just absolutely love it. I, I hadn't heard any. Ver- I've seen her live when you played with her a couple of times, oh. and hadn't uh, hadn't uh, heard anything recorded by her. But I I I, I I love that CD. It's 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 really good. All right, really enjoyable. Um, and so, uh, I like to know how you pick bands to play with. Uh, you know, you were saying that she's such a great songwriter and stuff. And and uh, and uh, James uh, Loney is a is a real good uh, you know songwriter, singer songwriter type of thing. So so do you do you tend to go towards people who write good songs or or you know. Bands that had have chemistry that you can think you can fit into, or just a, it can't be a style of music because you're all over the place on music-wise. But uh, you know, is there is there do you go out and listen to bands and then they ask you to come, or do they just ask you and you just try them at rehearsal and see if you like them, or how does that whole yeah? I'm, process I, I work? have to thank you for assuming that I pick these <laughs> bands and I'm picking <laughs> and choosing. I, it's pretty much. A, um, along with my separating my economics from my music, I made a bit of a decision for a while that I wasn't going to say no to anybody. And it, it was part of trying to 
meet people in the cities or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would take, even though I was working a really hard demanding job, um, uh, every weekday, I was going to try to not say no to anyone who asked me. So that's what I did for quite a while. And I never really seeked out any bands, uh, that I can think of. It was people who asked me oftentimes it's cause they knew I had a rehearsal space, yeah. <laughs> space, right. But, uh, but yeah. Um, and all of a sudden every band you join, you hopefully become good friends with them. Mm -hmm. They all have a circle of friends. You end up meeting a lot of people. And if you all of a sudden are playing in several bands, it's, you just kind of meet a lot of people and Hey, I've got, I've got a project I'm starting. I'm going to try to get a CD out in three months. Can, can you plan these couple songs? It's just kind of, it morphs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't remember any kind of conscious decision process about I'm going to play with that guy. You know, it's, it's just a passive thing, yeah. kind of a passive approach. And, uh, I've, I've never, um, heard i you know i don't i i've met you through the olds and haven't really known you that long or anything but i've never really heard you talk or anybody talk about a band that you led in or that you did writing for um have you have you done writing have you ever written songs um, or or have you led a band and 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 been the main songwriter yeah. singer um through my 20s uh like i say i was a lot more vocal but we always, I always tried to keep it at least the illusion of a democracy, you know, in a band. But uh, uh, after I bought, went into, went into huge debt with PA and Lights, I felt like I had a bit of a voice in the matter because mm -hmm. I had to make sure we kept getting hired. So I hope I wasn't too overbearing, and I think I apologized to most, apologized to most of the people I had that had to suffer with me back then, and uh, explain to them. But um, I was in a band called The Clients, Hometown Boys, uh, uh, that I met when I w went back to school at my community college back there. And then most of us moved up to Minneapolis, I think late 80s, early 90s. And we cranked out a, a recording. And I had uh, there was a tight time frame to do it. And, uh, yeah, I wrote all the music in two weeks. I wrote a song a day for two weeks, so okay. I can do that. I think on the album of Ginny Dodds, you just played, I think I wrote a tune on there. Yeah, and uh, she wrote some of the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I can do it, but it's... Uh, I think of uh, Tim O'Regan when I asked from the Jayhawks, when I asked Tim when his second solo CD was coming out, because the first one ended up on everybody's top 10 list. And he said, he, the funniest thing, he said, you know, Ter, then I'd have to write songs again. <laughs> <laughs> and that seems to be like a universal thing. You know, uh, most of the songwriters I know, it's, it's a job mm -hmm. to write. Right. And I can write music, I can crank out music, but but it's not something I will do, and I have to force myself to do it. And you have no desire to um, do it, or you do? Not, not, at, not at the moment. It, uh, it depends on how busy I am at the time, and I'm always thinking, man, I should get my own project out sometime, you know. But stuff always comes to the forefront of my energy and attention, so it's always back burner. 
And then uh, when you were with Nip and Tuck, you, when we were talking about them a little bit, you said they, they you made that demo that we played and then uh, took it out. The manager took it out to L.A. Um, and now you kind of play with older uh, it, people that have been established in the local music scene. Um, nobody kind of up-and-coming young that's going to take off and go anywhere too much. I don't know, maybe you play, maybe are you playing with so many bands? I don't know everybody you play for, um, but... You're asking me to say that this band is going nowhere? No. If I, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying, have you ever had any national, I was going to ask you, have you ever had any national ambition? Because um, it seems like you, the bands you play with aren't, like I say, the up-and-coming bands. They're not yeah, coming yeah. out with recordings. They're not looking for major labels. They're not shopping demos. Um, there are a lot of singer-songwriters that have been around for quite a while, uh -huh. um, pretty much set in their ways. I mean... Uh, someone like Robert, who uh, has been in the limelight. I, I know I've, I've talked to Robert and uh, from the Flaming O's and, and Bryn from Flip. And you talk to those guys, they say, you know, we, we've been through the mill. We, 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 we've done it. We, yeah, yeah. We, we, we were there and we did it. And I don't want to do it. I would never want to do that. You know, it was great at the time. I wouldn't want to go through that again. Sure. Uh, you know, just all the traveling and all the, all the kissing butt and all the playing and all, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it seems like... You know, you didn't get a. Sh I I don't know. Did you have a shot at at a national? Uh, was um, Nip and Tuck as close as you got, or uh, is that something that you never really desired? Or logistics just kind of worked out to where uh, I wasn't freed up to pursue something like that. I had bills to pay, and then later on, I was just too busy with my job in school. And logistics just kind of worked mm -hmm. out that way. I think about it, went through my mind, you talking about that. Uh, I always hated the business end of things anyway. It just was not in my nature. It, it occurred to me when I came up here, I ended up playing with some guys who were good at it. And I thought, yeah, the, the guys, if you don't want to do it, you should hook up with guys mm -hmm. who, who don't mind it and, and actually excel at it. But it just occurred to me when you were asking that about a young band starting out. Now, I, I am so clueless about how the business works. I don't even know if you shop demos, right. as they called it back then. Mm -hmm. um, I know they don't send A&R guys out so much to hear bands live. They look at how many followers you right. have on Facebook. I'm, I'm just totally clueless about how you would even begin to pursue, or even if you get record contracts or how that even works and uh that's fine with me that i have nothing uh, that i have no clue about how to do that i don't envy youngsters coming up now i hope they can figure it out it's a double-edged sword of course you know the technology it's easier to have a you can crank out an album with a laptop right. you know in your home but at the same time there's a zillion people that can do it and you have to wade through a lot of stuff to make yourself you know distinctive mm -hmm. or heard so, uh, so yeah, at, at, at this stage, I don't, I don't want to sound like at this stage, like it, <laughs> it's still exciting and anything can always happen. And, but we're just, uh, most of the people in the circles I play with, we we're still, if we're still doing it now, we're doing it because we love it and right. we're, we're grateful to have a gig and we're mm -hmm. grateful that we're still, you know, able to play and, and, uh, have an outlet for creative things like that. And uh, 
when when you're 20, you have these thoughts about, you know, maybe there's rock and roll stardom. Maybe our chances are as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think any, uh, most of us in my circles, most of us don't harbor those kind of, of you know, uh, ideas anymore. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy every gig and try to enjoy every situation. And, uh, and that's then, part of just getting mature, I guess. Yeah, and that, and that leaves you with a lot of you, you time, too, and you like riding your motorcycle, which is... How you kind of, is, I, I take it as how you relax. Heck and yeah, stuff. heck yeah. Um, That's yeah. We what, all, what kind of what kind of bike you got? And oh, we're gonna talk about bikes here. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. Well, yeah, That's how you relax. So yeah, absolutely. Just went to Bemidji and back yesterday. Yeah, we all. Gosh, gosh knows we all need those things to clear our heads and. Got about three of them, and that's one of them. I didn't even expect to enjoy it when I got into it, and it's like a. Just one of those things that can clear my head from all those things that torment you, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, hit the highway. Saddest time of the year almost coming up here when you have to park it for the winter. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, Do you get a chance when uh, when all the bands are playing and stuff to get out much? And, and I know the weekends, you're, you're retired now, so you mm-hmm. can probably go out during the days and stuff. Yeah. But there's still, there's still got to be practice time and rehearsal times and studio uh-huh. times and stuff like that is do you do you get much free time to yourself yeah, at the moment i do but yeah. uh you know it varies it varies from week to week and weather wise you mm-hmm. know it depends on the weather so but you, you try to do it when you can yeah yeah exactly uh the next one song we're going to go into is uh, is one from dave rave and the and the governors and this is real interesting to me because uh you were um uh like I said, I, I met you through the O's and, and, and got to know you and talk to you and stuff. And then, you know, you said this was going to be a really interesting gig and that, uh, you know, I should come down and see it. And some guy from Canada that comes down twice a year to record with Rich Madsen and and uh, and they put a band together and he was going to be playing at the Driftwood and you were playing with Lolo's Ghost uh, at the warm-up too, so I could see two of your bands um, that you were playing with uh, at the same time. And then I, I, I didn't know at the time, but Dave Rave was actually uh in that he's in the canada rock and roll hall of fame he's a member of the teenage head which is a, a huge punk band back in the day not huge they were huge in canada they weren't yeah. known down here but uh i was a big fan of theirs i had i had hooked i had found out about them just like stiff little fingers and some of those other kind of smaller punk bands you find out about them and was a big fan of theirs didn't know it till after he was yeah basically all done playing and you came over and was telling me about him and stuff uh and so I, I was really interesting to, to, to see him and, and to hear him play. And then, and then what he actually does for his uh, records comes down here twice a month. I talk a little bit about yeah. uh, Dave Rave and his, that's a whole different experience from all the other stuff that, that, that you do. That it is. Yep. That is. I remember that night and it was so cool that you, when you put it together, who he was <laughs> and that you were a fan. And yeah. I, I, and it was a great show too. I mean, I was blown away by ah, him too. Yeah. So I made it just that much better yep dave is cool hey dave i hope you're okay uh um yeah he comes down usually the end of january and the end of june every year for a week and he has several albums out and uh i'm so grateful that uh they included me uh, a couple years ago i think i started going down to those sessions and uh rich mattson who everybody in town kind of knows uh and uh, Craig Tankin and Dave Rave, uh, they get together. 
The first week I went there, I believe it was right away on a Monday morning. They go in the, into the studio with nothing written in advance. And by the end of a week, they usually have half an album totally written and recorded and plus two or three live gigs mm. on top of that in the week up there. And uh, they hit the ground running at breakfast. Craig is writing lyrics right away. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. It's exhausting, kind of. It's a blast, too. And uh, he'll tend to get an album done in a year, you know, half an album at a time. And just uh, write fast and record fast. And and in a way, that sometimes the way it's the way rock and roll should be done, you know. And and those guys are pretty amazing, and it's and it's very cool of them to to let me in on it. Yeah, and it usually ends up with a gig in town. And and that's got to be two real big different things. Doing a, I, I was at the gig, and so I saw him, and he's pretty wild live, and he's all over the place, and that, and you're playing with a bunch of guys that are are, are really talented musicians, and they know what they're doing. But I mean, it looks pretty chaotic up. They <laughs> all, they all, they got, you got people coming up on stage and you got people yeah, yeah. Sw- switching mics and, and instruments and the, he's there's just all yep. over but in the it's studio chaos. it's got to be it's got to be like you know because you're saying they're, they're so time constraint and stuff and they're, yeah, and, yeah. They're, and they're doing everything off a of scratch that's got to be pretty much organized and set and we're doing this and we're doing this in this order and we're doing this so it's got to be two really different or is it pretty chaotic you know up it, there too? it's 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 not organized. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's it's fly by the. Okay. It's yeah. People it's, say it's true rock and roll. Yeah. Rock and roll. Just exactly. get in and play and write a song. I mean, you know, a lot of bands used to say, I don't know what the old days are, but you know, they used to just go in right in the studio uh-huh. and and not have anything, and then they'd jam and play and exactly. do lyrics and come up and and so that's kind of. Yeah. The old style of doing ways? Yeah, there are guitars within reach in Rich's living room everywhere, laying on all the furniture. And during breakfast, Craig is writing lyrics right away about the conversation we have. Sometimes by the time we're done with breakfast, he's got the lyrics for a tune written. And we're just all kind of noodling on guitars. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's try that. Maybe it's the way, oh, geez, it's kind of a highfalutin of me to say maybe it's the way traveling Wilburys did it, mm. it sounds like. But it's like, <laughs> not to make comparisons, but it's kind of like that. Dave has got, he's got this little mini dictaphone machine with one of those little mini um, cassette tape things. And mm-hmm. if something usable comes up, he'll say, play that again, and he'll record it. And yeah, it just somehow, kind of, all of a sudden, Rich has disappeared, and he's in the control room laying down bass tracks, you know, already. And... and yeah, they don't mess around, those guys. It's 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 something to see. And then is this one of the few national uh, artists that you play with? Yeah, I guess I guess when it comes to what you call national artists, that, that would be it. There are local people who have gotten some national notoriety, you know, Curtis A. Mm-hmm. and some of those guys. And uh, but yeah, that's yeah. Dave, like you say, Dave was inducted into the Hall of Fame up there. Mm-hmm. He told me their record company. They're, they're huge in Canada. Teenage Head. Yeah, yeah it was cool that you knew them. Uh, but Dave said their record company didn't have distribution in the states, right. so they never got promoted they, down here. They put out the I, I don't know who it was. Somebody put out like a four song EP of a couple of their between their second or third uh-huh. album and. The, 
and I had I had uh, actually bought their second album. The first one's really hard to get. The second one um, is the one that I, that I found. I, I don't know. I must have heard somebody playing it on the radio or heard somebody playing it. But then I went out and seeked it out, mm. and then uh, then just after that, this kind of four song, but it fell flat down here. Just it just mm. wasn't uh, wasn't very well done, and it wasn't uh, uh. it was it was pretty much a major label put out of a band that shouldn't be, be produced like that. And so uh, and so they really never made it here. But um, yeah, I actually uh, drove up to Toronto to see them uh, good play you, once. Man. And uh, they, wow. were, they were, they were well, not just them, but they were, uh, there was a big festival up in Toronto called uh, Heat Wave. And, and it was uh, Talking Heads. It was a huge festival uh. of, of new age people, new wave people when they were, um, First, just breaking, um, Talking Heads, Remain in Light, um, uh, B-52's second record, uh, Elvis Costello's second record wow. just coming out. They were playing songs off of stuff that hadn't come out yet. Um, the Pretenders had uh, was still with the original band. Wow. Um, and they were all playing together. And then uh, Teenage Head was playing, but they couldn't announce it because they had played in the club and they had a big riot. Really, and they could. They had. There was the club wasn't big enough for the people, and so people were trying to get in, and wow. they were busting out the doors, and wow. and they had fights in there, and it, so then all of a sudden, they couldn't be booked. They couldn't be. They they could play, but they couldn't announce where they, they were playing. They couldn't announce it. I see. So they were playing. Everybody kind of knew they were playing at this thing, but they couldn't actually announce them, put uh, them on a bill. So then I found out. And, word of mouth. Thing. And so I just made it that much more that I knew that it was to be the one exactly. time. Exactly. Oh, that's a that, worthwhile you know, it, yeah, trip. Yeah. yeah. So it was really a worthwhile trip. I'm really I'll glad mention, I went. I'll mention that yeah. to Dave. So it was really interesting that. for me. A little story for me, anyway. Very cool. Thing. But uh, yeah, so it was great that you know when 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 you said that that's who he was, mm-hmm. I was really excited that. That, ah. to, to actually see him play, you know, down at the Driftwood and, and hear his music. And he is so, he is so good. Oh, man. Really, like I say, really we do. Yeah. Very Anytime, br- if you ever get a chance. And I don't know, you say he plays, but no, he's never announced. I don't know how you'd ever find out. Are they just, I mean, that he comes down for the one week and then they just pick up something and it's really not yeah. announced I, too much or it, unless yeah. you're in the know, you really don't know. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. Uh, Rich's studio is up in Sparta on the Iron Range up north of ways. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we usually come down for the Saturday, maybe sometimes a Friday, Saturday and play, but yeah, it kind of gets announced on social media at the last minute or mm-hmm. something. There are people who follow him now here cause yeah. they expect him twice a year. Right. But I was going to say, yeah, we usually do one rehearsal gig up there in this, this little place in Virginia. And it's usually the very few, if any people, it's kind of like a live rehearsal, mm-hmm. but Dave will be doing the worm on the, on the <laughs> yeah, out into the crowd and walking on the tables and just, uh, He's, giving it he's, everything he's got no matter what it's so. a great great live if you get a chance go out and see these guys live yeah. it's a great deal um this will be nowhere to rumble and this is dave rave and the governors
be the judge. And that was uh, Nowhere to Rumble with Dave Rave and the Governors. Um, now we're going to go into, uh, and I always thought like this was one of your main bands, but you, you say, you know, all your bands are your, like your children. So you're, uh, but I always, you know, I, I met you when you were with the O's. Um, and then before that, you were with Snaps, which is another one of uh, uh, Robert's bands. Uh, how, how long have you been with Robert as far as the two of you playing together? Man, I wonder if it's been 2005, maybe 15-ish years since the O's. Mm-hmm. Snaps were running concurrently, I believe, somewhere along the line there. But yeah, I think it's been 15-ish years. And then how did you meet up with, with Robert? Um he came, I knew him back in the Longhorn era when uh, we were playing in Nip and Tuck, but I had, hadn't really talked to him or seen him for ages, decades. And uh, I don't know how I got pointed out to him, but it was at first dab. I don't, don't know what we were doing there, but he came up to me and said, Did you, are you the guy who played on the Ginny Dodds CDs? And I said, yeah, yeah. And, and he had some solo songs written that he wasn't going to use in the O's. They ended up, being in the snaps stuff. He said, can you do some of that on my stuff? And I had just gotten some home recording computer software I was learning how to use. And he came over with an acoustic guitar and sang a few songs in there. And then I just glommed on a whole bunch of parts just to learn how to use the gear and uh, and dropped him off a CD one time where he worked. And uh, I said, here, I put some stuff on it, but I'm just experimenting, learning how to use it. Yeah, and so... And you've been with him for, for quite a while. Is this... Is this uh, the longest you've been? With? I think I asked that earlier, but is this the longest mm. you've been with somebody, or kind of with someone partnered up constantly? Yeah, uh, that could be fifteen fifteen years straight, mm-hmm. except for hometown buddies that I grew up playing with since junior high. We put in a we put in a long time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Per, and then how did, to say it's been a, been a long time with Kurt too? How did it kind of morph from the snaps into the flaming O's. Uh, did, did he actually end flaming O's for a while or was it no the, they were both going on at the time? same time yeah so it was just two different kinds of music he two was? different kinds of music uh now the o's will do a couple snaps tunes there are a couple mm-hmm. snaps tunes that have worked their way into flaming O's sets sometimes but uh even before snaps even bef- before i was in the o's he usually had and I, I don't know if you would call it an offshoot band, but I think there was the Robert Wilkinson band for a while, and I think the O's were still going then. I'm not sure. But he he's uh, like Johnny Ray also. They'll have a different style of music that isn't necessarily um, in the in the groove of the O's or Johnny Ray and the reaction stuff. Johnny Ray's got an, another thing called New Union music now. And I don't know if this stuff's more, if, once again, if Americana is the right term, but it's a little more singer-songwriter, straight ahead, um, kind of like that, mm-hmm. rather than punky power pop or something. Um, and then I was going to say, too, that uh, you kind of took over Johnny Ray's spot in... The Flamin' O's. I mean, he was the second guitarist. Yeah. Not taking over his spot, but he's the se- he was the second guitarist. Yeah. Uh, and then now you play with Johnny Ray and with yeah. Robert. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, there's a big connection kind of between the, the whole Flamin' O's family there. Yeah, it, it does feel like a family. Plus, yeah, yeah. plus you played with 
snaps and then the flaming holes and then like you said with the reaction and with his new band new union new music union yeah. which is just a studio band that probably will never play live new union but music yeah new union music um does does that do you think that your variety and that you can play a lot of different things kind of makes it so these guys can bring you in and then do a lot of different projects with having the same mm. guitarist kind of gives it a common feel of not having to bring in two different kinds uh, of personalities, two different kinds. They know what you're going to do. They know what you can do, what you can't do. Uh, do you think that kind of plays that, into your ability to kind of adapt? Keep, yeah, or just to keep busy and, and have people know that, you know, you're reliable. You can come in, you can uh, do different things. You know, you don't have to, you know, you can go in different directions. If you go in a different directions, you don't have to change or you don't have to, yeah. you know, you can, yeah. you can do this. This gives you... The, common feel yeah th there might be something to that they're, they're aware of what i sound like at this point and mm -hmm. they know what i can and can't do and i'm just very grateful to anyone who will find my racket <laughs> useful you know so it's and it's yeah and yeah. and it, it have you is there something what this would be interesting i, I just thought of this but uh -oh. is, is there something that you can't do <laughs> I mean, is there oh, is there something shit, that somebody's man. put you in a spot and you said, "Well, I really I can't even I, you know, uh, I wouldn't even try that," or I can't. I mean, it seems like anything you'd even try, you would you would give it a shot, even if somebody asked you I'll, anything. Pretty much, you give a shot. But. I'll give it a shot, man. Yeah, absolutely. But there are uh, players who who excel in specific styles around, mm -hmm. and if I I'll say, "Man, you need to get this guy for this. This is his mm -hmm. deal." You know, I can, I, I can not exactly fake it, but I can do something. But mm -hmm. you really want to call this guy because mm -hmm. this is exactly what he does really good. You know, certain players are more specialized. They have their definite thing. That, right. So, you know, if it, if I'll always give it a shot, but if I really hear <laughs> some other, some other guy playing this, I'll say, mm -hmm. man, man, if you can give him a shot at this. And, and, and you play in so many bands and, and so much that it must be, now, now I'm not saying that you're famous or that you're the most popular person in the world, but when you go you out. You can say it. <laughs> you, when, <laughs> when you go out, a lot of people, when you go out and stand in bars and watch people play, a lot of people know who you are. And so you must have to talk to a lot of people. I mean, you know, you, you pretty much can't go too much out to the bars and just sit by yourself and listen to music there's always whenever i see you there's always somebody talking to you always somebody mm -hmm. coming over saying hi um you just know so many people and like i say you're in so many bands and you have so many fans that know who you are and like like you're playing and stuff um do you get time to go out and just listen i mean i've never seen you at a national show do you go to any national concerts and do you get a chance to actually sit down and listen or is there a constant it, it's line of people coming up saying well hi. thank you for for making me sound like such a happening cat don but i don't know uh it's it's a cool community here and uh like we maybe talked about before um it's not that we take it for granted but friends who have moved to either coast or back have come back and mm -hmm. and, and talked about how supporting this scene is compared to so doggy dog in some other places you know it's everyone as far as i know everyone's pretty supportive here and what are you doing what are you working on where are you playing 
you sounded great last week, whatever. So yeah, you jabber with the people you know, and mm-hmm. you come to, you know a ton of folks too, you know, right. you, you see, it's, it feels like, like a, I was going to say one big happy family, one big dysfunctional <laughs> family, or, but a family anyway, mm-hmm. just a bunch of people who were just, and, and it's important to let people know how great i don't i don't want to sound maudlin or 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 cliche or anything like that but to me it's important to let them know that the reason i get to do this fun stuff is because you come to shows Mm -hmm. thank you for coming to us coming to shows Mm -hmm. you make the rock and roll world go round you know and people like you don and and jimmy who work and put these types of things on you know it's it's so it's it's important to me yeah. to thank people for I, I just remember show. when we were at Duffy's and I don't know who we were seeing Becky I, I'm not good Becky Capel Capel yeah Hi, and Becky. I think there was maybe oh uh, you played with uh Jenny Dodds yes thank you very much <laughs> you're catching on to me now thank you very much <laughs> we've been and, doing this too long <laughs> and so uh so that's why I was down there so I hadn't heard of her before but she was had an amazing guitar player with her Paul Burgess we had, both yeah. talk about hey Paul yeah. the best but I th- I think there was maybe 25 people in that place 30 people in in, in uh, Dusty's which is crowded of course uh and out of that 30 people I'd say maybe 45 came up and talked to you oh uh, really it just seemed like uh, I, I just kind of stood in the corner, and I was just more interested in all the people that were coming up and saying hi. And, oh. talk, and I was just thinking, <laughs> is he even able to listen to what's going on? Or oh, anything? that's and funny. Even even I had to come over and say say oh, something to oh, you. That's because, funny. Uh, well, I was trying to know. listen until you came up and talked. <laughs> yeah. no. Started talking about the yeah. tone and how the guy started to sound like Dwayne Allman. So much. I couldn't believe it. I almost uh, oh, that's, almost killed myself. Oh, that's funny. But, uh, I love there, that. There was one uh, Longhorn when they released the DVD documentary on the Longhorn. Longhorn mm-hmm. and they had some of those bands play at oh I get my theaters that yeah, start at, with a P yeah, Parkway, well, yeah, the Parkway, Parkway right yeah. there was one point where there was one band I specifically wanted to see and I wasn't able to at the other shows because it's like class reunion mm-hmm. night at, at those things you know and I did find a chair all by myself way off to the side because I wanted to catch their set because yeah I wasn't able to at all the other ones because of yakking which band but, uh, I'd, I'd rather not say. No, nah, no, nah, I'd rather Fingerprints? not Fingerprints? Okay. Actually, actually yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rob, Rob Henry and all those guys. And, right. and they, it was pretty interesting to hear them play. I was amazed. I was a fan of theirs, and it was pretty, oh, amaz- uh-huh. pretty amazing. A lot of people talked about going just to hear them. It was just astounding. Just to hear them Yeah, play. and like I say, I, I kind of missed them back in the day, mm-hmm. and uh, I've gotten to be good buddies with a bunch of those guys, and uh, I just want to, to lock into okay. their their sound for one set and it was astounding yeah. i'm glad i did it they, they were one of the bands that had hadn't played a lot of those bands that had played before and and done reunions and stuff and they were one of the few that a lot of people went because it was yeah. a, a one time to actually kind of see yeah. them play again, yeah. again rob and i got together uh one time with our friend lisa and and we talk about doing it again rob there's we're gonna geek out he was explaining to me how he plugs his some of it is stuff in and it's kind of unique but we've always talked about getting together and mm-hmm. making some racket that'd be good all right we're gonna uh, end this show with uh, a song from the flaminoles uh is there anything you want to uh, bring up at all before we uh close out the, the show uh, here? like i mentioned nothing comes to mind okay. at the moment it will when yeah. we're done 
right. when it's too late. Uh, but 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 thanks everybody for listening, and thanks everybody I get to play with. I I never get to do a blanket thank you yeah. to everybody, and thanks for letting me do this, Don. Well, it was really good. interesting. I really enjoyed talking to you and, and, and learning about you and stuff. Oh, it's my great. Pleasure. I love I love these things, and so this is really a joy for me. Um, thanks for coming in. My this pleasure. will be uh, Old Jenny Darling from the Flaming Holes. I'm getting bored just sitting around here. There's nothing good on TV. It ain't nothing but a wasteland. As far as any I can see. I'm getting Nancy to go make some noise. Maybe I just want to dance. I'm going to call up my girlfriend. See what she's doing to
like to thank Terry for uh, for joining us on this episode today. And uh, thanks to Javi for uh, putting it all together. Uh, Jimmy for running the board. You can uh, hear this episode again or any past episodes of the Don podcast anywhere podcasts are available. And uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>